Amen. Um, this standalone message that I like to do today in between series. Uh, next week we'll be in our worship series, but this is just a standalone message for us verse by verse this week. I want to talk about today taking the faith seriously. Taking the faith seriously. Let's pray. Father, we honor you and thank you for uh, the faith once delivered up to us through Jesus Christ, Lord God. And I'm praying today that this would be a good hit for us, a good look for us to be able um, to be challenged, to be able to be engaged, and to be able to do a checkup for where we are, God. Lord God, will you open us up in ways that we don't know? Will you do surgery on our souls today? God, focus us in like we were talking about and singing about earlier on Jesus Christ, uh, that you would amp up the seriousness of our faith, that we may be warmed, warned of our lethargic spirituality. Every now and then we need a good smack in the face and a warning about where we are and where we're not. There needs to be power in here today, God, and I can't, I have none without you. So, Lord God, will you send power, bring power that changes people and gives preachers an out-of-the-wayness that allows Christ to fill up and be all in, in all. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our Redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, I had the ability, my wife and I, to get away for a few days like we like to do. And it wasn't just to vacation and do nothing. It, it was a time where we wanted to be replenished, sort of restored and, and, and poured into by people uh, that pastor us. Um, and so my pastor and his wife had a small shindig at their ministry uh, for, for people who have been influenced by them. Of course, we're spiritual children of theirs, and we were there for just a couple of days, uh, two or three days, just to get replenished. He was there. Jim Simbler was there. Um, Dr. Evans' wife was there. And we just got a, a really, really good time to, to just kind of detox, if you will, and, and just kind of do a f – I don't know. You got to do that every now and then. Got to do it, especially as a pastor. Uh, pastors need to get away. I, I, I got so many friends now burning out, marriages all over the place, and and, and just just and, and, and just needing to bring it in. I got some friends that had to take off six months because they didn't take off a day, a week, or something. And so we got away just just to just to just to inventory our souls, and um, you need that. And while I was while I was at time, I had another mentor that I got with that I began talking to, and he was just asking me all kinds of questions about the spiritual climate of the northeast, or northeastern sector of the United States and, um, and of Philadelphia, for that matter. And, 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 and he began doing an inventory, and I, was, and I had already been thinking about this passage. Um, but, but as we began to talk, I began asking myself the question, because he, was, he started a ministry that helps Christians basically to do apologetics and to be able to deal with difficult questions and being able to really have a grasp on the faith. 
And, 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 and one of the things he began to talk about is, is the fact that a lot of people are, 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 are backing up from Christianity and backing up from the church because of a lack of, not church hurt, but a lack of equipment of the soul to be able to stand. And, and, and I've gotten to the point in pastoring, you, you know, you know where, where, where I've asked myself a heavy question about this is, 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 is everyone that attends Epiphany Fellowship on a Sunday morning a believer? I, I began asking myself questions, you know, me and the Spirit just together, just getting it in and wrestling with him, which is always rough for me, wrestling with him because he's very, he's the spirit of truth, and truth doesn't always feel good. And, and, and I, I just began to wrestle with souls because I spend my Thursdays with, with sheep, all day Thursday, 10, 12-hour day. On Thursday is my long day of all my days, and I spend that day getting with people, counseling people, trying to love them and seeing where they are, all those type of things. And then I begin calling people that I haven't seen or heard that I haven't seen based on going through the covenant community list and just seeing where people are. And, and one of the things that I began asking myself the question of as I begin to run across people telling me, Pastor, I don't believe the gospel anymore, I began asking myself the question of what are we doing? Uh, where are we and where are the souls of God's people? Uh, are people durable enough to take on the onslaught of Islamic influence? Are people durable enough for a J-Dub to walk up to their door and ask them questions they don't know about and, and, and be able to engage them? Um, um, are, are, they, are they able in difficult times to be able to stand even though God's goodness is being doubted? I've just been questioning not the faith, but where we are in our disposition towards the faith. And, and, and today I'm, I'm praying that we do an inventory on ourselves as, 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 a, as a, if you will, a foundational warning. Because I don't assume because you say amen on Sundays. I don't assume because you lift your hands in worship. I don't assume because you shout. I don't assume because you know the words. I don't assume because you nod your head. I don't assume because you shake my hand after the gathering that you know him. Some of us are here spiritually with our eyes like a deer in the headlights and looking at the word of God have no change, no sense of purpose, no sense of grasp of the heart of God, no love for him, no passion for him, no want for him, no sacrificial disposition that demands change towards him. I'm just wondering who in here is his. I shudder to stand before God and have to answer for a soul that did not hear the gospel under my watch, under these men watch. And just wondering where we are. And so we come to a passage where Paul comes to the most theologically astute church in the New Testament. <laughs> they knew a lot of theology. They were probably the most biblically beastly church in the New Testament. So much so that they were so into the Bible that they forgot about Jesus. How in God's name do you get in a Bible, defend, uh, apologetically defend the faith, uh, you know, uh, against, uh, against the Nicolaitans? He says about them in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. He said, and you don't put up with this person because they, they against, so you, you, we know what you're against. 
But Jesus says, I don't think you're for me anymore. And he says, you lost your first love. It is possible to be meandering in spiritual things and be left field of the kingdom. And so Paul comes here in this passage and he shakes the church up a little bit because the church doesn't know that it's already being shaken up. So in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Timothy, the reason why I left you in Ephesus is that you may teach certain persons not to teach strange doctrine. This strange doctrine has began to permeate the doctrinally astute, the people who should theologically know better. But even in their theological know-how, some were falling away from the faith. So he comes to this section of the book, and he gives a prophetic warning. That, that this prophetic warning, which brings me to my first point, my, my, my first and only point really, is this. Enjoy the Lord Jesus in your life. Enjoy the Lord. Now, that's going to seem strange, but it's in this text. Enjoy. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that enjoying God is not on the radar of most believers because of our view of what enjoyment of God is. And, be, and because our affections are not synced to him through the eye cloud of the spirit, what happens is, is that we have our own view because we've been syncing up to everyone and every place and everywhere but him. And, and, and so we come to this passage and Paul says, uh, in later, the, the spirit expressly says that in later times, some, somebody say some, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Let's go back to the front of that. Now the spirit, now let's stop there. The spirit of God began speaking to the church about, uh, it, it says in later times, right? The later times have already come because when Jesus raised from the grave, later times began. Okay? So we're in later times just as they were in later times. Now the spirit of God is not the flunky of the Trinity that we get to command. Holy Spirit, go over here and do this. Holy Ghost, you do. No, the Holy Spirit is sovereign Lord. And he tells us what to do. We don't feel him. He feels us. So he begins in his lordship speaking to the apostle who has been given an apostleship by Jesus Christ. He has no marquee saying Apostle Paul. Y'all going to get that next week. Because he had more of a concern for the nature of his role versus the title of apostle. See, being an apostle back then wasn't as cool as it is now. See, see, being an apostle back then was a little rougher. Getting shipwrecked, getting beat, getting spit on, getting stoned, getting left for dead. See, our, our apostles today, they too fly. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You, you can't be a Bentley apostle. You know what I'm saying? You can't be a Maserati apostle. You know what I'm saying? So, so uh, in other words, the, uh, Paul, Paul was used to people not listening to him. People weren't, listen, oh God, help me. Listen, he, it's the spirit expressly told him. In other words, this is something, the word of God is all equal. But he, says, I'm, he said the spirit is distinctly telling the church something about itself that it needs to awaken to. And I believe in Western American culture, we've gotten used to a word from God. In other words, we, we want a word. We don't want a change. See, a word and a change are two different things. 
So he says the Spirit expressly says. In other words, he's saying this because this is of massive importance. As a matter of fact, throughout the pastoral epistles, he'll say this is a trustworthy statement, and this is a trustworthy statement. But here he talks about a prophetic utterance that has a little bit more, not, not, not better, but it has an alarm on it, if you will. And many times when the Spirit of God alarms us to get up, we put snooze on him. Snoozing, snoozing, snoozing. When I'm trying to get up, I know I'm supposed to be up. The rest feels too good sometimes. And because the rest feels so good and the bed feels so good and the pillows, I turn the pillow over because I like my pillow cold and I lay my head back on it. I say, oh, just a little, just five more minutes, just three more minutes, just ten more minutes. And I keep pushing snooze on my phone to the point to where my alarm goes off. Without waking up, I turn it off because I've gotten used to not responding to the alarm. Wish I had some help right there. See, many of us in our lives have desensitized ourselves from the expressive statements of the Holy Spirit because we're used to uh, uh, pressing snooze. But I heard Paul say over in Ephesians chapter 4, wake up sleeper and rise from the dead and let Christ shine upon you. And so he's, he's here and he's warning us. He's warning us. He says, in later times, somebody say later times. Later times is interesting because this is a, what I call a multidimensional or dualistic prophecy here, which means it is not just for one point in time. It keeps, it, it, it's a part of every season post the ascension of Jesus Christ in which the believing church needs to be continuously awakened to their desensitization to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, let me see if I can make it plain. My, my dad was a Buffalo soldier. Uh, he fought under the Tuskegee Airmen. He, he was in World War II in the Korean War. Two Purple Hearts shot in each war, uh, lost his kidney. He uh, got his kidney taken out with no anesthesia. Just that type of stuff. Just they don't make them like that no more. Dropping mortars. And my dad said there were points in times where we would be advancing on the enemy. And he said, I would drop mortars on the enemy. And he says, he said there was a certain point where we were getting cascaded by guerrilla warfare. And when the communication specialist would come over and the lieutenant would tell him, everybody fall back. He said the B-1 bombers and the Tuskegee Airmen would drop uh, bombs on the enemy. And he said they didn't, he didn't, he said they didn't drop bombs. He said they didn't drop bombs that just dropped and just hit. He said, he, he said they dropped napalm. Now, napalm is different than a normal bomb. A napalm just hits the ground and goes boom. But napalm is, 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 is booby-trapped with many bombs. So when one bomb hits, it rolls out another bomb, and a boom, and it hits. And then another bomb rolls out of that. Boom, then it hits. And then it keeps doing like that. That's what this prophecy is. It's like napalm, napalm to bomb the church every now and then with our need to fall back. And so he comes here and he says, says something ridiculous. Says some will depart from the faith. Let's stop there. <clears throat> this is interesting because Paul, before he left Ephesus, <clears throat> he said to the people of God, he said, listen, when I dip, I've been here for three years, Acts 20. He says, when, when I roll out, he says, there are going to be certain persons that they're not going to come from the outside. They're already here. He says, some from among you. He says, standing right here. Now, these are the people standing on the shores. Paul, we don't want you to go. 
Paul, I'm crying because Paul, you know, they got all this apostolic teaching. Um, They're spiritual children of Paul. They got time with the apostle Paul who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they're crying there on the shore and Paul dips. And Paul says, ravaging wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. But you stand firm and be on alert. So now they haven't been alerted. He has to leave Timothy there to set in order some things because of their disposition of retreating instead of going in the onslaught. And he says, some of you will depart. Somebody say depart. Depart here is the word uh, 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 that, that points to apostasy. Apostasy is a very, very strong word in the New Testament. Apostasy um, is, is, is a word, it, it means to forsake means to desert or abandon faith in Jesus Christ. It means to keep away from, to avoid association. Mm. It means to rebel against God. It means to totally fall away from something. Now, this is interesting because under the sound of my voice, there are hearers all over this facility. But one day Jesus is going to come back and he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Every church has sheep and goats. Goats are non-believers. Sheep are those who have heard his voice and follow him. Under the sound of my voice, there are people that don't believe. Under the sound of my voice, there are people that will not endure difficulty. Under the sound of my voice, there are people that are a hair trigger away. They say there's six degrees of separation from each person in the world. Some of us are one degree of separation from walking away from this thing. And he talks about the fact that some will depart from the faith. It's interesting that Jesus talked about this in relation to his own disciples in uh, Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 33. And he says something different, but he uses a different term, and and it's where we get the name of a show that a lot of people like to watch. Um, It's it's Matthew 26, 31. It says, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me. This night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep and the flock will scatter. Peter said to him, he said, though they all fall away, God, because of you, he said, I will never fall away. And Jesus said, Jesus looked at Peter. He just, I don't know how long Jesus stared at him. And I don't know if Jesus twiddled his thumbs or he just, I don't know if he looked at him. I don't know how he looked at him. But he said, morning won't come. Morning won't come, dog. And before 6 a.m., before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. The word here for fall away is different than the word apostate or apostasy in the other passage, but it's a synonym word. It's, it's, it, it's the word scandalizomai, where we get our word scandal from. I know some of y'all like a certain TV show that's named after that. 
But the word scandal means to cease believing in the Greek. It means to fall into sin. It means to take offense or be offended by some action. It means to cause anyone to no longer believe. It means to give offense, to cause anger or shock, implying the will to cause somebody to sin. It means to be led into sin. It means to absolutely fall away from believing and taking offense at Jesus and his beliefs. Two types of apostasy based on the Bible. There's the apostasy of those who have received the word of God based on the first three soils. Those three soils are not believers at all. They don't know him. They do not know him. The last soil is the only one that's an authentic believer. When someone believe, but listen, listen, the, 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 oh, help me, God. Listen, this is very, very important because what happens is, is that the Bible, Jesus says that the one that fell among the, they received the word of God with joy and the word of God grew up, but it had no root in them. He's talking about belief in the gospel, not just believing some information in the Bible. He's talking, that's about belief. Read the context. Some of you have liked the word of God because you like social justice. So as long as I preach social justice, you'll like that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about this and I'm about that. In other words, we're, we're, we're cause-oriented. So as long as I preach a causative gospel, you're online. But when it begins to rub you the wrong way, not like Johnny Gill said, rub you the right way, guess what happens? You fall away. Y'all think I'm lying. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When they say amen and when you hear crickets. Rebuke, re- reprove, and exhort with great patience or complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when they will not endure healthy teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance or the salt their own passions. See, many of us want a customized Christianity. And see, see, we, want, we think Christianity is like Facebook. You can customize your new page now, and your Christianity page, uh, you can do this on your page if you want to. You, can do, you don't have to live right. You, holiness doesn't really matter on this page. You can have a little bit of you have. In other words, we want a customizable Christianity because we want to agree with God, want God to agree with us. Versus, uh, listen, let me tell you something. I don't care if you ever enjoy a message I ever preach. I could, I could give, like the old song, a googa who About whether or not you, 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 you. Uh, uh, Pastor, I really enjoyed that. that. That doesn't matter to me. 
The question is, is because of it, do you enjoy Jesus more? I'm not here to be a homiletical engineer. I'm not here to, to, to be a homiletical hero and a, and a monstrositous expositor of the upper echelons of the Christian faith. I am here to preach the unadulterated, unsaturated word of God. See, many, see, see, if one more person come to me and talk about this is what I want in a church, who cares about what you want in a church? This is how I like the word of God. This is how I, listen, who cares? Nobody's going to customize the faith for you. If the worship in a certain place, if the teaching doesn't emphasize this substratum of Christian doctrine, I won't li listen. God is not concerned about your preferences. See, 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 you need a word that hurts you every now and then. You need a word that'll wound your butt every now and then. I'm going to just be honest with you. When I spend time with God, I don't always feel good afterwards. Some of y'all, I just need, I ain't spent time with God because the last time I spent time, I ain't feel a piece of God. And I ain't feel like God. I ain't feel a piece of God. No, 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 no. The word of God is alive, active, sharper than any two-edged. Listen, sharp means it's going to cut you. And last time I checked, cutting doesn't feel good. But see, our westernized, Eurocentric, American Christianity has for us this sense of pluralistic inclusivism that says that God has to contextualize the faith after me. Because we got options in every area of our life. But when you come to Christ, you have very few options in relation to walking with him. People, I'm not concerned about the false teachers as much as I'm concerned about the people being taught. See, 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 we have this preferential Christianity in America that, that, that scrutinizes enjoyment to what humans' flesh enjoy versus having our affections transformed by the renewing power of the gospel so that now our taste buds can change so that we can actually now like what God has to say. If you're not changed by the gospel, you will never like what God has to say. Because when God says something that cuts the daylights out of me, I don't like it at first. It feels really bad at first. But when I submit to it, the peace of God floods me. <laughs> Your peace is in submission to the cutting that he does. You won't always initially be excited about what God says. That's why you have to allow the word of God to hit you. <sighs> Help me, God. And so Paul exercises, begins telling them what the specific teachings are. This is interesting. He says, some will fall away from a, the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, and doctrines of demons. This is, this is bananas. The teachings, see, usually he'll say, oh, that's a bad word. You know, tether this. This is, this is not just off-centered doctrine. This is not just argumentation over the non-essential doctrines of the faith here. This is a deep falling away of the people of God from the central principles. Now, you have to recognize in Acts chapter 19, verse 19, 
The people of God here in Ephesus used to practice witchcraft. They were into occultism and secret societies that were demonic. And so in verse 1919, uh, the, uh, the amount of books of magic that they brought to be burnt at the bonfire in Ephesus came to 50,000 uh, uh, shekels, I believe it was, of silver. And, 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 so, and so there was a lot that they invested their lives in. Now, he's saying some are paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. It's interesting here that the very thing that they're, that they're causing them to fall away from the faith is connected to the original thing that God delivered them from. In other words, whatever God delivered you from that you were most connected with is what the enemy will use to draw you away from God. Oh, y'all looking at me funny. Uh, 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 it, 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 whatever, if you struggle with pride, he's going to, because the, the enemy is a master psychologist. And what he does is he keeps an inventory of those who warm pews. And what he likes to do as this master demonic psychologist is what he likes to do is use his demonic psychosis to bring you into a quasi-experimental design to get away from the Spirit of God. That's why some of us, we could be, that, that's why this is so important. Can we survive suffering in America? If America, let me tell you something, if America lose, if we go bankrupt and they begin, they take away 501c3s from all the churches, tell us we can't publicly meet. And if you acknowledge Christ, you can't even have a job. You have to denounce him in order to get a job. People start getting killed. They have assembly lines of killing Christians. Is the faith that we have right now durable enough to say yes to the Lord then? That's the question I'm asking today. Is, is our faith here? I'm not talking about how strong we are. I'm talking about how strongly we've submitted to him. I'm afraid that we've, we've created potty trained uh, domesticated Christians in the United States who, who have such a sense of entitlement that is destroying our ability to believe God. He said these are doctrines of demons that these cats are teaching. He didn't just say that it was off-center and it was bad teaching. It meant that the people that were committing apostasy and the people who were teaching the, uh, the, the apostasy, not apostolic teaching, but apostate teaching, are demonically driven and connected, and Satan is the one promoting the teaching that they're teaching. It's not just that, no, nah, they're not. A, they're not, they're not they, they, he said they are teachings of devils. How many people teach crazy stuff that you just give a pass? He goes beyond the teaching. He goes to their heart. He's the only one that can say, talk like that. He begins talking about their heart and challenging their heart about this. And, and, and then he goes into something powerful. He says, this is, this is the motivation for it. He says, he says through, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. I like, um, I like the way the New American Standard says that. The New American Standard says, uh, as seared in their conscience as with a branding iron. 
Now, there are two beliefs about this, even though they end in the same way. The, 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 the first belief of this is that the, Paul is using their understanding of runaway slaves who, when the slave would run away, they'd bring them back, they'd heat up the branding iron, and they'd sear them on their forehead so that, uh, so that they now, the master, uh, uh, people see them and they know that they belong to their master, i.e. saying these people have now become property of Satan. Okay, that's one view. Uh, uh, but it leads to the same place. The second view, which is the one I, I hold to, is, is, is by, because of the context. He says, it's seared in their own conscience as means of lie, uh, uh, insincerity of lies, seared in their own conscience. Which means that when, they, when you brand something, what happens is, is that the, uh, I got two brands God, uh, in my God forsaken days. Or, 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 you know, I got one on my chest and one on my arm, a, a brand. And, and, and I remember the night, I didn't drink nothing that night, and I remember when they put the brand on me. And, it, and, and it was, you never heard human flesh heat up. It's like, and they held it there for a minute and pulled it back. And it was just, it was just, it was, it was just meat, open meat. And then as it began to heal, the skin around it pulled because of the sore. But in the place where I got branded, there is no feeling. To this day, when I touch the light keloiding that happened on my brand, you, I have no nerve endings in it. Because the seared heat burnt the natural nerve endings that was set up to feel. What he's saying here is these people have no feeling for the Lord anymore. He said the spiritual nerve endings that God has set up to be an alarm system for their souls no longer exist. Where in your life are you seared? Where in your life have you become desensitized from the Lord? Where in your life have you abandoned him? Where in your life where you've said, God, I don't care anymore? I can't tell you how many people over the last year said, Pastor, I don't believe the gospel anymore. I don't believe. I love you. I love the church. I love the people. I love the elders, but I'm done. Why? I just don't believe. And that's not the only person that's sitting in here that struggles with belief every week. And then there's others of us, there's others of us who are believers, but we've just settled. We've just settled for picket fence Christianity. We've settled for when there's a prayer time. We don't, we don't come to prayer with the body. We've settled for not getting in biblical community with people. We settle for getting a word. We've settled for we've settled for the big show of Christianity, but not the grimy, pissy-smelling street Christianity where the grime hits the grit. The manure of the block Christianity, where you have to live for real, for real. And nobody knows that you're struggling. Nobody knows that you, you don't even know that you've abandoned him. You don't even know that you don't even care about the faith anymore. You don't even know anymore. You've given it all up for something that you've set your heart on that's not Christ. You can say Jesus is the center of the, it all, all you want to. But until you, listen, God will signal your soul that you need to go deeper. And he always does it through sacrifice. Always. Always. God takes you deeper through taking the thing that's not him that's most important to you 
and to challenge your heart with it. <laughs> That's how he knows. If you love yourself, guess what he's going to challenge you with? Yourself. If you love your marriage more than him, guess what he's going to challenge if you love your independence more than him, guess who's going to challenge you with? If you love your degree, if you love your job, if you love your profession, whatever you love more than him, you might as well set your clock that God is going to do something to shake up. Listen, God is not a competitor. He doesn't get in the game with nobody. You know, you know it's interesting. Somebody asked Jay why, why he don't do battle raps no more. He's like, you know, them days is over, man. You know, I don't battle nobody. I spent my time doing that on those days. I'm above battling now. Christ, Christ is like, I ain't never battled. I don't battle. I go for the win. The W every time on the court of life. Huh? Listen, let me tell you something. God, God is not going to compete with your passions. And he's going to bullseye your passions. Why? Because Paul is wanting the people of God. To, 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 to sound the alarm, to sound the alarm, that your soul would hear the alarm clock of the Holy Spirit once again. That you would say, because he doesn't want them seared in their conscience, as with the branding iron. And this is how you know something, this is interesting, how th this false teaching works. Check it out. It, it says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It's interesting that the false teaching <laughs> was connected to Genesis. How is it connected to Genesis? First two things God gave man to enjoy was creation and marriage. And what's interesting is that the false teaching here it's not like Nation of Islam doctrine that black people were from the moon and Yaqub was a wild experimentalist and an explosion happened and we fell down to earth and he split DNA from a black man and made white people who are devils. It's like, you like, that's, I, I, that's, that's clear false doctrine, <laughs> right? That's just, that don't even make sense, right? Um, you know, you know, um, you know it's, not, it's, not, it's not like the false doctrine uh, of the JWs who believe that Jesus Christ uh, was a, uh, became the, he was the archangel Michael incarnate. That's clear false doctrine. See, this false doctrine is subtle because this false doctrine is teaching God's people what's called, uh, 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 what was, it's called asceticism. Now, asceticism can be good and it can be bad. Asceticism just means the denial of something temporary in order to open yourself, like fasting is a form of asceticism, right? But this is evil asceticism because because Nazarite vow is a lifetime of asceticism, a denial of something, right? But here, this is not it. It's basically beginning to say things that God has created to be good and to be enjoyed, don't enjoy them in order that you may become righteous. In other words, your righteousness is based on what you gave up, not based on who gave up stuff for you. See, false doctrine and demonic doctrine is never overt. It's always subtle. And at the core of this is, is to starve ourselves of enjoying the living God. Because God has created all things to be enjoyed. When your life is not walking in the joy of the Lord, there's a false doctrine that has crept into your life. When you base your righteousness 
on anything but the death and resurrection of Christ, you are a victim of demonic doctrine. When you base your righteousness on a list created by man, you are walking in a false doctrine. So Paul attacks, attacks man's attempt to bring shame on enjoyment of God. And that's what happens is, is that people create ways in their own estimation and in their own mind that have nothing to do with the biblical writ. And so the passion of those who believe is that the Christian life is a good place to be in. Walking with Jesus is dope. Walking with Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to you. I like the way Jonathan Butler says, he says, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever, ever done. Y'all don't know nothing about that. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, Never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected. Guess what? And there's no place I'd rather be. That is enough to sustain you in good times and in bad times. Give yourself fully over to Jesus and see the Christian life even in the times where you're depressed. Even in the times of a loss. Even in the times of a lack of getting what you want. You need to say it way down in your sanctified soul. Even in the midst of this God, even though I don't have what I want or who I want or where I want, there is no place I'd rather be. I'm out your way. Father, I pray for <clears throat> the person that doesn't know you, and they don't know if today, if they died, whether or not they would be in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ death on the cross is not something that they have really believed in. They communicate it, even possibly understand it, but haven't given their life to you. God, I pray that under the sound of my voice, those who haven't believed the gospel, haven't come to faith in him, because they're here. They're here. And God, I'm praying today that you would save if you're here today and you haven't